Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice. We also have Dr. Tim Hayes with us, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Monday, August the 24th, 2015, and our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because then that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. It looks like Michael just dropped off. So while I'm waiting for him to dial back in, we are in Branson, Missouri. We um, came up here yesterday with Ari and went over to the College of the Ozarks, which is a fascinating uh, college, and it's awesome the way that they operate. And So we got a tour today through their hydroponics and their greenhouse, and it was just really nice to connect with some of the students and see how they operate and things like that. So Ari got some ideas for us for next year at Heartland, and he's going to go back and do some testing on his own sprouter in Chicago. And So he's headed back home, and Michael and I are sitting here at the Indian Clay Oven uh, waiting on Magda and Chuck and a whole bunch of people to come and celebrating Chuck's birthday today. So uh, we welcome you to the show. Oh, Michael's back, so I'll let him do the introduction to the work. Hi, Michael. Great. Thank you, sweetie. Delighted, honored, blessed that you're all with us. And uh, I guess she's already explained. I, I lost my connection there for a moment. So technology is always fun. It is amazing that we have this fabulous technology that allows us to do what we're doing. And we get to talk to you wherever you are in the world. And if you choose, you get to talk to us. It's pretty cool. In the meantime... Our pursuit is that of understanding and applying first century Aramaic forgiveness to the places in our lives where we hold errors that we are blind to and to open our eyes to see the places where we might be holding energies that really don't belong within our human system and have really no part in the human life. Our definition for a human life is pretty simple. All the newborn child, you know exactly what a human life is. If you don't have one of those, if you don't have that awesome active presence of love available to you and functioning in every cell of your structure, 24-7, 365, then there's work to be done. 
and the word is that, you know, it's interesting if we we go back. Are we getting, I'm getting some background noise here, sweetie, if you want to mute somebody. There you go. If you look into the ancient Aramaic Beatitudes, the Beatitudes start out with, we're told a word that says, by the Greeks, we're told it says, blessed are they, but there is no such concept in the Aramaic, in the Beatitudes, as some sort of blessing coming upon us from some sort of outside force. But rather, the word is tubehun, and it's a three-part word, and basically what it speaks of is a latent neural structure that resides within us that's designed to guide us to happiness and well-being. And if that neural structure is not active, then the Beatitudes are an instruction set for how to activate it. So in essence, that word tubehun translates a latent neural structure implanted by the Creator to guide you to happiness and well-being becomes your conscious possession, you who, and the Beatitude I want to focus on today is the one that classically is translated as those mourning their wrongs for they will be comforted. And, you know, I don't know too many people that have gotten really warm heart cockles out of sitting around mourning their wrongs. It just doesn't take you very far. That's the Greek interpretation. You should be sad and down and in fear and trepidation over your errors. And we say, no. We say, where you need to go is to the space of love around your errors. Because in the space of love, your errors heal. So that the attitude says that there's a neural structure that will give you higher guidance than your normal mind if you can activate it. If you can bring it out of its inactivated or unconscious state, then it will guide your thoughts, your feelings, your decisions, your behaviors, and empower you to make choices. And so when we start the, 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 the Aramaic translation of those words is more like those who love, love truth, who look into their errors in thought, and the errors of their society. And what it promises is, if you do that, you will be cured of mental stress. The primary stressor of the human cellular structure is mind energy, thought. That's the primary cause of stress. It all happens in thought. The cell responds with chemistry, or what we call chemistry, but the primary stressor is thought. So if you want to be cured of mental stress, you've got to start looking at where your thinking has gone awry. And, you know, sometimes we'll find people who want to be premature positive thinkers. That's a disorder. This isn't about positive thinking. It's about honest, appropriate, and true thinking. And being able to look at the places in your life and in your world, because this particular beatitude in Aramaic, Yeshua was giving the instruction to look into your errors in thought, but not only your errors, but also the errors of your society. Why would looking into the errors of one society lessen their stress? Because many of us, having been influenced by our societies, our, our stresses are run by the errors of the society. I was talking to a young man this morning. We were just over at a place called the College of the Ozarks, which is a pretty awesome place, basically serving a a more or less poverty-based community in the world. And it's a, a college that kids who are, are, don't have the money to attend regular colleges 
can come and work 15 hours a week. And with their 15-hour-a-week uh, work program, they can earn their degree over a period of three or four years, whatever the time period is of their degree. Pretty awesome not to have to come out tens of tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And so I was talking with the young men. We went back over. We've been working on some new sprouting techniques and, uh, and such at Heartland, and they have some hydroponic gardens. So we went to, to lunch there yesterday and this morning went back to visit with Ari. He's on the road to Chicago. By the way, travel blessings to Ari. Hold the space for him to arrive easily and safely in Chicago. But we were talking to the folks, the kids in the, uh, in the uh, agricultural program, and basically the... The theory that they go by is that if we get bugs, we poison them, and then everything is better and everything is healthier. And we we tend to run on a similar theory in terms of health. If you get a bug, you poison it, and then things will get better. And there's an error in thought there that on both counts that we need to be able to look into and correct in order to really truly have health and in order to have food that is really truly going to nurture and support us. I had a friend in South Florida several years ago who had uh, bought a property that had several hydroponic growing beds in them. There were actually, I think, uh, 11 beds that were about four feet wide and 100 feet long. They were huge. It was a beautiful space. And on each end of the growing beds were nutrient tanks. So at one end of the gardens, there's a 10,000-gallon nutrient tank hooked up to beds 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, and 11. And then on the other end, there's a tank that's hooked up to 2, 4, 6, 8, and 10. And what my friend shared with me was, he was giving us a tour of it, is that, you know, there, there were guys who were handling the nutrients and keeping the water in proper shape. And he shared that he could tell when the water was not proper because what would happen is that the set of beds that either tank one or tank two were hooked up to would all of a sudden be infested with bugs. So if tank one, which was hooked up to beds one, three, five, seven, nine, and 11, went out of proper balance for nutrients, the plants would weaken. And when the plants would weaken, of course, the design of the system is something that's weak. There's a predator that's designed to devour it, to get rid of it, to call out the weak. And this college has a thesis that you know, if we get bugs in our plants, and unfortunately this is one of the major errors of our society, is that type of thinking that if you kill the bugs, then your plants are going to be okay and give you proper food. When the truth is, if you have healthy plants, you don't have bugs, and you'll have healthy food. But if you utilize this uh, war-based thinking model of, well, we go and kill something and then things get better, then we tend to get lost in an error and thought, and we become more and more reliant on killing things in order to, in that case, have the plants survive. Instead of recognizing that the plants are weak, and that's why the bugs are there, and, and you know, it was so awesome to, to see these beds. I mean, there are only maybe three, just enough space to walk between these beds. And here he'd have bed one and three infested with bugs, and in between it is bed two, 
and there isn't a bug on any of the plants. Why were the bugs there? The bugs were there because the plants were weak. They weren't being fed properly and therefore were weakened. The strong plants had no problems. The bugs had no attraction to them. And so when we start recognizing that killing something to keep something else healthy is an oxymoron. Keeping something healthy means that there's no predator that will multiply and come and try to eat it. In the same vein, we have exactly the same thing happening within our human structures. You know, we've been taught about the miracle of antibiotics. You think about that word, antibio is anti-life. And the similar thesis has occurred to, well, if we get bugs in the body, what do we do? We get a poison and we kill it. Then the host will be healthier. Well, is it very logical that if you poison the host, it's going to be healthier? Makes no sense whatsoever. But if the host is weak because energies that don't belong in the system are being held in the system, then the cell becomes weakened, and when the cell becomes weakened, organisms that are predators that are there to clean up dying cells show up and begin to have dinner. You know, if you feed them, they will come. And so, not that there's never a place for an antibiotic, because there is, but not nearly to the degree that we have been taught. And, you know, some people eat antibiotics like candy. And with no awareness that what's happening is they're creating strains of bacteria that are virulent enough that no antibiotic can touch them. And we need to be aware that what we need to be doing is strengthening our structures and our immunity rather than trying to kill off invaders. There's a cost to killing off invaders. You poison the host. And so when you poison the host, things degenerate, degenerate, degenerate until you need more and more and more of the chemicals and stronger chemicals. It's interesting, the, uh, I've been reading recently some, uh, some reports on uh, these uh, organisms that are antibiotic resistant and the error in thought in that community, you'll see them saying, we have a big problem. We've got antibiotics that these bugs can tolerate. We're in trouble. And their thinking is not, well, we need to strengthen the cell, the host for the bug, in order to deal with it. They're saying, well, we've got a problem with done created by these antibiotics. So what we need are more and more powerful antibiotics which is the exact opposite of what we need. But blinded by this error in thought that the problem is you kill off the invader rather than strengthen the host, we end up with an error in thinking. This happens in every arena of our lives, especially if there's a vested interest in some sort of an outcome. So oftentimes what will happen is, and you, you remember that we've spoken several times about one of the great lines in The Course in Miracles that says, you must be aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be. Because when you want it to be a certain way, and you haven't cleaned up your errors in thought or the errors of your society, your mind will guide you in a direction that doesn't really support your wholeness and your well-being. Because the goal becomes the driver that creates perceptions whose purpose are to support you in achieving the goals. 
So you want to make sure that your goals are really, truly on tact with your highest levels of wholeness and well-being, experiencing and expressing the awesome active presence of love that you are. And when your goals align with that, then your mind will be in harmony with where your life is designed to go, with what your real purpose is and, and where we're designed to live. And so this willingness, you know, there's a disorder called blockage of truth. And what happens, say, for instance, in the, in the case of the agricultural world, the blockage of truth game there is we have a plant that's being invested by bugs, and so we'll make billions selling sprays to kill the bugs, so we want more powerful sprays to kill bugs more effectively, all the while poisoning the host plant and ignoring the weakness that created the infestation of bugs in the first place. So if one has a vested interest in making money from, for instance, those sprays, then it's going to be impossible for them to understand that their minds are stuck in a lie. And what happens is when our minds are stuck in a lie, you know, there's some interesting Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits. So if we've got nine bits of data and 10,000 brain cells firing, there's a lot of data that doesn't get into perception. So when we correct the mind, then correct data that supports truth gets into the mind. But when our goals are off base, our perception can tell us a lie. You know, one of the most common lies in this arena of living as a human being, in the arena of really, truly being fully empowered and fully alive, is that somebody else is responsible for my state of mind. You made me sad. You made me mad. You made me afraid. You hurt me. The person who holds that type of thinking has a goal to find somebody else as the root and the cause of their hurt or their pain or whatever it is that's going on in their minds. And so they will always find somebody to blame for that. And that leaves one in a place where the nine-bit mind is filled with data that tells us a lie, and we call our lie truth, you made me sad, rather than being responsible for our sadness, and by doing so, filling the nine-bit mind with that errant information that you're responsible for what's going on inside of me, filling the mind with errant information that bugs are the problem and we need to kill them, whether it's in the garden or in the body, we end up in block of truth. And now, awareness of truth bounces off of us. And we call that disorder block of truth. The antidote that we offer in this work is love of truth. Whatever my goals are, whatever it is that I think I want, I'm willing to stay in harmony with truth first and foremost. And when I'm willing to stay in harmony with truth, if I'm in a state of upset, I need to stop. Instead of puking my upset on somebody else, I need to stop and go, oh, I'm in a state of upset. There's something going on in me that I need to look at that I need to deal with. And so when I find myself in a space where there's 
some sort of defensiveness or offensiveness, and I stop and look. I get to see that, ah, there's a part of me in some form of hostility or fear. Something about this other person isn't going along with what I want. Therefore, they're the problem, and all I have to do is convince them that they're the problem. Then everything will be okay. Where love of truth says, hmm, here I am in a disturbed state. Gee, I want to force my opinion on somebody else. I think I should take a breath and cancel my goal. And, you know, the goal oftentimes is a reflection of an, of an issue that's going on or has gone on in one's life with the power person. And so when I cancel that goal, I collapse that reality. And once I collapse what occupies the space of what, what we refer to as the nine-bit mind, then there's room for a different mind, that is, the mind of the creator, to give me information about what it is that I'm looking at, the situation that I'm looking at. And all of a sudden, things turn around, and I can come up with a solution to the dilemma rather than stay stuck in the belief that the problem is outside of me and therefore is someone else's fault. And so in essence, that's where we want to head with this work. And what forgiveness does is it clears out the data that keeps us in blockage of truth. And when the data is cleared out that keeps us in blockage of truth, all of a sudden, truth becomes obvious. Truth becomes apparent. We get to see much more clearly, and the whole game changes around. And we get to, and we're inclined to, we desire to do things rather than, you know, the thinking of the agriculture industry, let's just go kill the bug. The thinking of the medical industry, let's just kill the bug in the body. The thinking of the culture is let's just change somebody else or get rid of them, and then I won't have to feel that way. But what it is that I'm feeling is an energy that is not supportive to my wholeness and well-being. So I don't want to get rid of the bug in the garden. I don't want to get rid of the bug in the body. I don't want to get rid of the person who shows me what's uncomfortable to me. I want to deal with and get rid of what's uncomfortable to me. I want to deal with what's happening in the garden if these plants aren't healthy and vibrant and the bugs aren't interested. What's happening in the body if the cell isn't healthy and vibrant and the bugs aren't interested. There's no, if there's no food supply, if there's no weakened condition in the plant or the cell, there is nothing that will try to feed on those cells. The, 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 the organisms that we call predators are only here to feed on the weak and the dying. If we start looking from the other direction, and in, in, the, in the case of you know, blaming someone else, when I start looking in the direction of what's the energy in me that's weakening me, why do I have a disturbance? And when I start looking at my goals, and the essence of forgiveness is by canceling my goals, I get to collapse my false perception, and I get to look into the deeper parts of my mind. I keep, keep having the opportunity to look deeper and deeper and deeper. And, of course, ultimately what we're asking everyone to do is to look so deep that you develop the skill and the ability to embrace and scoop out right down to your genes the energetic patterns of a thousand generations that functioned out of a space that was less than love until you return fully to love. And when you return fully to where every cell is connected to love 24-7, 365, no invader will touch your structure. And life's going to be a whole different game. So we're here to play that different game and to, of course, enhance our understanding and use of the tools 
and support the understanding of those tools on a global scale. So we're here to take this to every mind, heart, and being on the planet, and we're glad you're part of the team just by lending your listening ears. You're enhancing the energy of understanding true first century Aramaic forgiveness. If you have not yet engaged in the forgiveness process, then we would invite you to go to our website, www.whyagain.org, and when you land on the home page, if you scroll down a little bit, some browsers it's right there, but some you have to scroll down a little bit, you'll see a white and red bullseye. If you click there, that will open a whole series of links for how to access the whole story of how to do first century Aramaic forgiveness. If you go to that page and just to the right of the bullseye, you'll see that there is a link for a PowerPoint presentation that Bill Costantino was kind enough to put together for us to, that explains the core of the first century Aramaic forgiveness process. So once you've had a chance to look at that, then if you step into the red bullseye, the red and white bullseye, that will take you into the whole story step by step. There's chapter 24 of my book, a free download. It's all about the forgiveness process. And the second link are the worksheets, step-by-step -step worksheet process, uh, the different uh, worksheets that we've developed over the years. Then the third link takes you into a series of radio shows. And those radio shows, you just click on them. There are at least 16 radio shows where we've walked somebody through the whole forgiveness process from start to finish. So a total worksheet, either Dr. Tim or Janie or myself, has walked somebody through a worksheet. And you can listen to those instructions. So there are at least 16 hours of free instructions on how to engage in the first century Aramaic forgiveness process. And then, of course, once you start to do that, you may end up with questions. And we're here five days a week, an hour a day, to support you in getting those questions answered. And so we welcome you. We're honored. Delighted that you're here. Gene, we have Michael. Dr. Tim with us today. We do, and I just wanted to say, when someone clicks on the link that shows the little PowerPoint thing, scroll down just a little bit, and there, you've got four options on that page. You can actually download or watch there on your internet the PowerPoint itself. You can click on this, the YouTube script. Uh, the third link down is actually the YouTube presentation. If you click on that, you can watch the presentation go through and listen to Bill Constantino explaining and talking about it. And then the fourth link is the same presentation on Vimeo. So you've got four options to experience that PowerPoint presentation. And yes, cool. Dr. Tim is with us. Well, let's say hello to the young man. How do you do, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. Awesome. What's exciting in your world? Any thoughts on our intro? Yeah, it's um, it's amazing how much better my life has become once I began to realize that I've created all my own sadness and fear and anger, hurt, mm -hmm. condemnation, and guilt. And that realization, in combination with the application of the tools, just continues to gradually, bit by bit, with minor setbacks here and there, but gradually, consistently improve the quality of my life. And well, I know about those minor setbacks. That's been the experience of developing this work, for sure. It's quite a process, isn't it? It is. It's amazing. And, and the thing that is 
top of mind for me today is how many things I've been through just in the past week that used to trigger upset in me that would last for hours or days or weeks. And now it's so many of them fly by. If anything, they're just a little blip on the screen. And I, I just, I found myself chuckling on Sunday. I, I was in a, a situation where someone did something that in the past would have triggered all kinds of intense response from me and ongoing thought and rumination later in the day. And, and I just smiled as I watched it happen. And I was just fully aware of the fact that if this had happened five years ago, I would have been, my, my mind would have been off to the races. And I just smiled and watched it from my new vantage point. And, uh, and I, had, I was having the same kind of thoughts this morning about a number of events in the past week that I've used the tools as I talked about last week. One evening I did a lot of breathing and tapping and goal canceling, but that's the kind of thing that it would have been a two or three week always in the back of my mind every time I slowed down this thought would come up and and just you know one half an hour or 45 minute session of breathing and canceling goals and tapping and it's you know because I'm talking about it now I'm thinking about it again but since then I haven't thought about it at all so you, know, just well, you remind me, you know, and, and people can download, of course, the whole book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again, in any one of several different languages on our website. And uh, there's, there's a chapter in the book entitled, The Body Has a Mind of Its Own. And it looks at the idea of what we call carbon-based memory, and that the, the functioning of our cellular structure is to store information. And literally, every frequency, every thought, every feeling, every reality that we experience is stored holographically in every cell of our structure. And if we look at our structure and we talk to a modern-day physiologist, they'll tell us that our structure has as its base element carbon. And when you look at the atomic structure of carbon, you have six electrons, six protons, six neutrons. The number of carbon is 666. The number of this database that, you know, until we've got the tools to remove things from it, that just runs our lives, runs on and on and on, as you're saying, Dr. Tim, uh, it just runs the show, 666. The, the, the mind that goes against us living in the mind of love is right there in our own cellular structure. And it's, it's crazy that the tool that was developed 2,000 years ago for removing from carbon-based memory the things that don't belong was disappeared. Forgiveness was turned into an act of pardoning. And it all stems, that whole misunderstanding stems from the idea of you're the problem in my life, therefore I'll let you off the hook for what I'm feeling inside of me. And, of course, if I never change what I'm feeling inside of me, all somebody else has to do is show up and trigger that, and I'll be right back in the old, uh, the old game. And so as I apply forgiveness, I literally weaken the fields emanating from brain cells that keep us locked into those things, and I'm freed from the past. And I get to live truly in the present, which there's a reason they call it the present, and that's because whenever we're there, there's a present, there's a gift. And the gift is that 
whatever's going on in our world, that awesome active presence of love is always available. And as you do your work, my experience has been, as I do my work, I, I get to live in that presence more and more and more. And when somebody triggers upset, instead of sitting around talking about them, I get to stop and go, oh, I'm an upset. I have some upset to heal. Good. Here's my next piece of work. It's pretty powerful. It certainly takes a shift in the mind, uh, turning around and, and looking into our ears and thought and the ears of our society, the willingness to look at that, because if we don't ever look into our ears and thought or the ears of our society, carbon-based memory will simply reflect those things. So getting safe to look at those things and go, hmm, this is out of place. It doesn't mean I have to condemn it or hate it or fear it. It's just, oh, out of a connected space of love, I can see that this is out of place in my mind, in my life, or in the world. And I can do something about it. I had a really uh, empowering conversation with a young man this morning who's at this College of the Ozarks, and uh, he's in the... uh, conservation department and we're talking about this whole idea of we're looking in the gardens of of uh, killing things with poisons that attack the plants as opposed to and it was like you know I'm not sure what year this guy was in but by his uh, his demeanor and such he was probably in his second or third year and it was like this radical new idea of oh we need to strengthen the plants and then we can stop poisoning our ecology with sprays to kill the bugs, like it was a radical new idea for him, <laughs> opened a whole different space. Now, of course, he, he's in an, a, a system that is funded by, to a great degree, and unfortunately, because I, I kind of thought, when we saw how this college operates, it's pretty awesome. These kids that are getting a chance of an education for for higher education simply for 15 hours a week, you know, it's pretty pretty cool. And I I thought that, well, probably with that kind of awareness and mindset, there's going to be a higher awareness. But now it's just right there with chemical farming and, you know, spray those things and then put them in your body and serve them as food in your restaurant. And it's like wake-up time. So so it'll be interesting to see if we ever hear from this young man. We gave him a card, and it's like, wow, that's a whole different way of looking at it. And it makes so much sense. So... You never know how it's going to open up when people start to look into their errors in thought and the errors of their society. It's uh, pretty sweet. Agreed. Any other thoughts from from your perspective, Tim? I'm just curious as to if we have callers today. It's uh, maybe 25 minutes less, so I'm complete. Let's go for it. We do have a caller. Yes, area code 781. You're on the air. 781, welcome to the show. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? Hey, everybody. It's Ron from Massachusetts. Hey there, sir. How do you be? I Thank be you for that right. gift in PayPal, well. Ron. Oh, my, I'm delighted. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. you. You're welcome. Um, well... Doing some um, in my what the, um, uh, returned from a nice vacation with the family, including extended family, uh, at the beach last week, and I'm here in my I'm working doing a worksheet. I'm actually working with one of the older versions of the worksheet, the one that has the Boy Scout story uh, right line in it. Remember that one? Yes, the original eleven step. And yep. yeah. 
And I was really uh, touched by Dr. Tim's opening remarks about his life getting better when he learned that he creates his reality and that he's responsible for it. And and what I what it resonated for me was this um, occurrence of doing the worksheet. And then slipping into a trance as I did the worksheet. And the reminder of how important it is to stay fresh and active while I'm doing the worksheet. Because I, as I started, <laughs> I'm doing the worksheet and as I started to get into um, my trauma and my story around, you know, have I... Um, had this before, you know, what had happened to as I started to have experienced past stuff, I, I started to slip into, okay, this is a worksheet about them. Um, the worksheet trigger was, I called it, uh, I've, I've done several worksheets today, and I got down to this one on my what I call my trauma body. Um, what, what you call uh, the trauma body, Michael, that's where I got it from. Yeah and how the trauma body wants to feed on more trauma earlier in the day. Hopefully I'm going to get to a question here. Um, earlier in the day, earlier in the day, I was doing a worksheet, and what I wrote in big, bold letters on the top was, this would mean I'm totally wrong about the Course in Miracles. I'm wrong about Michael Rice. I'm wrong about... Aramaic forgiveness. In order for me to hold this, the the thought that I had was that in the worksheet I'm looking at now is that I am guilty. That this is it. It's, it comes from like a core torso level. That I'm that the truth is that I'm I'm besieged by a truth that I am guilty and I am in trouble. And Are you besieged by a truth or a lie? A lie. That is that presents itself as truth. Thank you. It prevents it. It presents itself at a level of depth where truth belongs. Yes. And and the, the place I would suggest maybe really looking to clear up that kind of an issue is to go back with your power person, and when the stress was up and the chips were down, was the energy that you either had activated or received from your power person one that carried a message of you're wrong and you're in deep trouble. Oh, oh, I mean that, uh, yeah. I mean, I got to the goal and what I came to was, and of course it's probably not a coincidence that I've watched the codependence to interdependence video every single day for many, many days now. And um, what I got to was that I wanted support of my essence. I wanted that my goal was for support of my essence as a as a human being. And nope. the the moment that I you know what I recall is the power person. My story is Michael. The power person had a choice. The power person could have said that behavior is unacceptable. Or the power person could have said, you are unacceptable. And they chose yeah, to say, you. Breathe, yeah. 
And the power person chose to say, you are unacceptable in the most damning way that he could. And now I, <laughs> the worksheet reminds me, asked me if I've done that behavior. And, and I have. I've done it in, um, I, I, to the best of my knowledge, I have not done it with my daughter. Um, but I have most certainly done it in intimate relationship. Um, have you done it to yourself, Ron? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've done it to, I think I've done it probably to that power person as well. And and to recognize that one of the things I'll offer that might open the space for you is, as you say, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't done it with grace. And, And the truth is you probably have on an energetic level, if not on an external level. But look at the difference you've made in one generation. And recognize that the only reason your power person did that to you because it was done to them. You know, your power person had a power person. Who had a power person, who had a power person, who had a power person. And that tends to run behavior. But but yeah. look at the magnificent shift that you've made in one generation where you can totally and with complete integrity say, you know, I don't believe I've done that with my daughter. And you've been hanging out with your daughter now for what? Almost 10 years? 10 now? A little over 10 years, yeah. A little over 10 years. So that's a pretty awesome shift. And it sounds like you're ready to go to the next level or the next depth of what do you need to scoop out of your genes to be free of that energetic dynamic totally so that even on an energetic level, it doesn't happen within your family system. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I, um... Thank you. My, uh, as you know, my mom is going through a health challenge, and and I introduced the Course of Miracles to her last week, and I, I had to say, um, I said, full disclosure, there's, I won't specify who it is, but someone close to us thinks it's from from the devil, <laughs> and um, and I, I had it out in front of that person, and he said, "What's your reading?" And I said, "It's." the Course of Miracles and the person just went oh and just turned around and went in the other direction and I really, I did some worksheets on that I, I found it brought up a, a painful uh, sense of rejection any um, thoughts as to what what that might be about well you know, one of the one of the things most people do is that the philosophy they live by being not based in truth and weak, if somebody doesn't agree with it, it means they're rejecting them. Mm. And so you might want to look at how it ties in with that message of you're not good enough and, and you're in trouble. And then recognize that probably someone who can't hear a reasonable understanding and set of tools but has to turn and walk away on a dime is probably in a lot of pain. And this, the, the ground they stand on must be weak. I remember 
when I was a kid, there was a movie called, I believe it was called The Book. And it was about a new Bible that was discovered. It's interesting how this was played out in my life, working with the Kavoris Manuscript. But it was about a new Bible that was discovered. And that is interesting. That is and it was it was it was yeah, it was changing the world. And a uh, uh, an interviewer, a, a, a guy, goes into the uh, magazine interviewer, newspaper interviewer, goes into the uh, the bowels of this institution to speak to and interview some of the old priests. And there's this old scribe who's down there, you know, working at his little desk in the dark. And the interviewer says, but this new information you're discovering, doesn't it threaten everything that you believe? Doesn't it destroy your faith? And the old priest said, only those who truly have faith can stand to have their faith questioned. Mm. And someone who can't, it's because of their weakness. And, you know, that, that belief you know, in front of their power person, they probably had to be right. And they were preached to by somebody who had to be right. And so there's no room for a question, addition, or more information. It's just shut down. And so that, you know, tends to be sometimes part of the uh, the, the world of, of weakness and insanity. And so as you step into any part of you that is resonated by that state and do your next layer of work on, gee, is the ground I'm standing on really firm, then you get to stand in a space of connectedness no matter what. What anybody says. Yeah, you know, you know what comes up for me, Michael, that I think is useful too is is the the trauma body is a concept that is a, not a concept is a it's a the trauma body is a carbon based memory generation that that is not to be reasoned with. It's it's a digital phenomenon where I'm either in the trauma body or I'm in being, and it's not. Yes. It's it's like it's like a hornet's nest. Like I keep putting my hand in this hornet's nest, and I keep getting stung. You know, I keep trying to go into this trauma body and reason with people in their trauma bodies, and it keeps creating more trauma. You know, you you yeah. mentioned the trauma body likes to that's feed. <laughs> yeah, that's its job. And so, and 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 I let go. So, with your support and Jeannie's and Dr. Tim's and the community here, I I, I actually I, I affirm and I declare my I release reasoning with the trauma body and and attempting to reason with the trauma bodies of others. I can stand in being, and it is a kind of a digital phenomenon. I'm either I'm either putting my hand in that hornet's nest or I'm not. Yes. Does that ring? Yeah. Right on track. And the and the the religious implications. I mean, my family. We used to. I used to kind of say with a bit of pride that we we're a devout Roman Catholic family over many years. And um, you know, it's. I was just happened to watch something on TV, quote unquote, happened to, in the last couple of days, where, I mean, the person's contention is that a human being or human humanity, if left to our own nature 
would be pretty awful to each other, and therefore we need the Savior of an external Christ and you know the the Church to keep us from our craven nature, and that's that is the um, the recipe for <laughs> building a trauma body, and it's also you know what. Um, that's the school I I attended as a kid. Well, and if you look at the uh, that whole conversation, it really ties in with the original conversation that I was having around the errors in thought, and that you know, thinking that in order to keep bugs out of the field, you have to kill bugs as opposed to strengthen plants. Thinking that in order to keep uh, bacteria and viruses and funguses out of the body, you have to kill off the bacteria, the fungus, and the virus rather than strengthen the body. And this is the same error in thought. In order to keep one from their craven nature, what you do is you put into them their craven nature. You make them fearful and, and know that there's some hostile creature out there that's going to get them if they don't obey, as opposed to strengthening the state of being. The truth is, if we were left to our true nature, we would be the awesome active presence of love with each other, creating a world of abundance, support, and caring. And there are millions of people out there doing that every day. Mm. And there's an errant component of society and of the church, and I'm talking, it doesn't matter what church, it doesn't matter what religion, they're all the same. There are non-humans that get involved in the hierarchy, and so that becomes a fear-based teaching, which is the root of the craven nature that you're talking about. And so in order to keep you from being sinful, we'll put sin into you. We'll put fear and anger and, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and all in you. And so it's, it's just it's an interesting uh, dichotomy and uh, just part of the game spiritual, of up the non-mean Spiritual life. antibiotics, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. And so the opposite philosophy is what's going to bring about uh, a true uh, shift on the planet into humans functioning as actual humans, as this awesome active presence of love that we're designed to function in. Hmm. You know, it's been... It's been... I don't know if it's months or years or weeks or, or what that I've been the primary um, feeling I've been working, doing worksheets that, that have come up with worksheets has been pain. Just like it's it's physical pain in conjunction with these, um, uh, with a lot of my worksheets. And, and we've been talking about the moment at which I gave up being under the yes in 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 communication with the um power person and and I almost in what I described to you before it's like I could see in my mind's eye a a a, a version of of that moment and it's kind of cloudy but I can see that kind of like it actually what comes to my the visuals I get are um of the home that I was in that I'm that I was in when I'm, you know, quote unquote, too young to remember it, but I I see it in my mind's eye with some vivid um, pictures. And that moment of 
It's the first time I've articulated it like this, that moment of the power person having a choice to go after the behavior, go after me, and choosing to go after me, and me just saying it's not, um, I can't I can't handle this, I can't compete with this, attack, I'm yep. out. I'm out of myself. I'm out, I'm out of myself. I'm out of here. Yep. Yep. And, and <clears throat> part of part of that assault is that the energy that the power person is lost in, usually because the power person is a parent, is also structured into your genes. And Ooh. so it's it's difficult to stay out of that trap because you're genetically predisposed to it, and then there's the environment playing it out, reinforcing it. And I, th- I think this hornet's net, uh, thank you, so there's the environment playing it out and reinforcing what I'm already coping with. I got it. Um, it's like a doubling down effect, like a squaring effect of what I'm already yeah. wrestling with from the outside. And And the... It seems like there's a useful piece here in dealing with this, the piece about, you know, the digital nature of, of trying to, re, you know, the trauma body and trying to reason through the trauma body with other trauma bodies. It seems like there's a useful piece of kind of like that, that hornet's nest. Like, no, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to use the worksheet. And I, I would imagine I'm not alone in, in this error in, in this community, which is I, uh, I, I release the need to use the, the worksheet to go back and reason with insanity, you know, to go back to, to use it as a, um, to use the worksheet to go back and attempt, you know, to, to, to remember that the worksheet is an active process, that it, to, to, to have the presence of love with me while I do the worksheet so that I stay awake and stay in choice and come through it without getting into trance. And am, am I making sense? Yes. Yes, right on track. All and right, well, I feel complete with that. That's the work. Yeah. So I guess I would encourage my, my fellow travelers to um, continue, with, join me in staying awake through the entire worksheet. Um, and that's it. I feel complete with that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I acknowledge and appreciate the work I've watched you do over the last, I don't know, what is it, 18 years or so? It's pretty cool to watch. Uh, about that, thank you. The way you keep moving forward, it's pretty awesome. Thank you. All right, sir, have a blessed day. Say hi to Mama and thank give Grace a hug for us. Grace probably will, will remember us at this point. She was so small the last time we saw her, but... I'll look forward to the next she's time we seen get you to enough. be face-to-face with her. Yes, she's seen and heard you enough to know who you are. Ah, okay, cool. <laughs> All right, blessings, lots of love. All right, thanks. Love, bye. Okay, take care. All right. Well, we've got about four minutes left, so we've got time for another quick question. Jeannie, do we have anything happening in the chat room or anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? Hello, Jeannie. Did we lose you? Yes. Hello. Can you hear me now? I got Hello. You. 
Okay. Yeah, I actually meant to hit unmute and I'm disconnecting myself again. <laughs> so anyway, I wanted to add, um, Ron, uh, you might want to go back too since you said you've been listening to the codependence a lot. Um, right off the top of my head, I can't say, I think that it was 2011 and maybe March, April, May that we did, how many weeks did we do, Michael? We did like 12 or 14 weeks straight Something like comparing that, yeah. the codependence to the 12-step program and and how those link and everything. And so that those programs had some really awesome codependence information in there too. So you might want to go back and find those and, and listen to them as well. 2011? I think that there was maybe just, yeah, it was yeah, actually I think the first year we did the show. It was 20, 2011, and I'm pretty sure that it was like March, April, May time frame. Um, Great. Somewhere like maybe it started the end of March and went through the first of May or something like that. But it was like twelve, sixteen programs or something that we did. So it was like three yeah, four was, weeks. Yeah, I think it was sixteen programs, and I think uh, there was actually only one of them where we did a comparison with the to the twelve steps to the worksheet. But the rest of the time, we really delved in deeply to the codependence process. So there's some some great stuff on that show. Some great conversations with folks. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it is. We're, we're down to two minutes, but I think it's Mr. Rex on the phone, so I'm going to click him on. Hi, Rex. Hi there. Great conversation. Hi there, young and, uh, man. Good to hear your voice. Well, it's wonderful to be heard and also to listen in the program. I've been very busy, so I haven't been able to, but I did have a couple thoughts I'll get real quick if I can. Um, one, uh, for Ron, what I found for me is in working with that trauma body, I, mine was just full of anger and had a lot of rage. And yes, it was linked to that original point in time, but there was also a progression of um, issues that I would surface to help me resolve that to get to that place or to allow that to come up. So it, was, it took time to allow that to surface and being aware of that for a long time, that being the moment in time when I let go of my awareness of my oneness with creation. Um, and what I found with my that trauma body is that I had... Um, I was trying to convince myself of what I believed. And as a teacher, I would find people would confront the bejeebas out of me, you know, about what I believed. And they would question it and they would, they would um, you know, bring up the Bible quotes and I'd have all these conflicts around that. And then it would be an emotional upheaval for me after the fact um, most of the time. And then I would have a lot to process. And what I would suggest, Ron, is that when you no longer have an issue with what you believe, very few people will actually try to prove that you're wrong. Good and that point. was the input that I had. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Rex. We, we'd love to hear from you more. You disappear for these long periods of time these days. I'm actually getting ready to send you a piece of mail. You should have it in a few days. And so I hope your day is blessed. And everybody, we appreciate your participation and support. And uh, bring a stranger to the show tomorrow. In the meantime, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.yagain.com. W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot com.